Welcome to the Programming Leadership Podcast, where we help great coders become skilled leaders and build happy, high-performing software teams. All right, welcome to the show today. I am so excited to have Etienne de Bruin, the CEO of Seven CTOs, that's a mouthful, on with us today. Welcome, Etienne. Thank you very much for having me, Marcus. I am really excited because the topic you proposed is something that I think is so important and also, frankly, quite misunderstood. And that's the idea of emotional intelligence, particularly as it relates to technical leaders. But before we dive into that, Let's back up. Tell me a little bit about yourself and the work you do with seven CTOs. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, you know, I am a CTO type. In other words, um, I love the code and I love entrepreneurship and I love I love seeing software products um, change people's lives. And I've um, been coding all my life, became a software developer, senior software engineer, uh, engineering manager, and then CTO'd a few companies. And um, after my last stint of, of a startup that I co-founded, uh, I decided I was way more interested in the people behind the role of the CTO than I was at uh, just jumping into my next product or my next value proposition or my next pitch deck. And so uh, I've had an incredible time uh, rallying the troops and, and bringing CTOs into a peer mentoring environment uh, where they help each other, uh, kind of help you see behind the corners, uh, the things that you don't know that you don't know. So we, we meet on a monthly basis in groups of six or seven and we work through the hard issues of uh, situational leadership all the way through to achieving our professional and personal goals. Wow, that sounds amazing. And, uh, and so you mentioned the idea of emotional intelligence. And as we were kind of starting back, you know, before we hit with the record button, you started to talk about the transition from engineer because I appreciate you have laid out your engineering credentials to us. You were a programmer. I saw on LinkedIn, you were a sysadmin. But you started to talk about the transition and maybe how emotional intelligence plays in. Could you tell, let's go back to that. So maybe just tell me even what your transition was like. Yes. Um, you know, I think, uh, and, and I think I'll kind of dovetail or maybe work my way back Um you know, in seven CTOs, when I when I started the the the, the community, uh, I really thought that our conversations would be focused on, you know, the software development lifecycle, the technical debt, uh, managing your CEO's expectations, uh, and and sort of the plethora of all the standard things we struggle with as as we push product out the door. And every single time, it just comes back to the people challenge and, uh, and this incredible deficit that incredible CTOs feel in this area of, of I, uh, EQ. So, you know, we're all high on the IQ probably, but the EQ is something we struggle with. And, 
And I think that's partly why seven CTOs is, is growing and is so successful is because uh, I tell people what gets you at the table is your IQ, but kind of what keeps you at the table is, is your EQ. And, um, and, and so, A, just kind of seeing how so many CTOs uh, or technical leaders crave more of that EQ training. I think uh, B, um, you know, I had I had a moment uh, uh, probably about 12, 13 years ago in my startup where, uh, you know, I thought that I was, a re- I'm an extrovert, so which is a rarity, I know, but uh, I, I really thought that I was a fantastic CTO. I was the cool guy. I knew my stuff. I built the product's uh, first iteration with my bare hands i.e. a blank VI session and no frameworks. I just hand-rolled everything. But anyways, um, and so I had the uh, authority. I I'd established my credentials and authority to my team because they knew I, I could code and could architect prob- uh, systems. But uh, I think I had a huge uh, 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 awakening or a sort of a reality check when we, I, said, I, I flew them all out and we all did a retreat and I kind of put a blank canvas on the whiteboard and I said, hey, let's, let's brainstorm some ideas on sort of where the product is going. And I thought, A, I was succeeding on inclusion and every voice counts from the most junior to the most senior. And I was just, I was just surprised at how how stop-start the process was and how uh, how people just weren't participating. Um, and uh, and then just to f- basically realized that I, I wasn't aware of, of how fearful they were of collaborating with me because I was so blunt in my feedback and I was so, uh, in the end, as it, cliche as it may sound, I was really only happy if the idea was mine and and i think i think that's where i realized i have a real problem on the on sort of my emotional side i was i was almost like a baby in those meetings uh, seeking sort of the constant approval and adoration of my of my minions and uh it was terrible it was a terrible terrible moment it all went down in flames in the kitchen of this massive house we rented uh, where they basically, there was almost a mutiny where they, I was on the one side of the kitchen, they were on the other side, and it was, it was almost the end of my whole engineering team. It was terrible. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for helping me re- relive those moments, Marcus. <laughs> well, as terrible as it sounds, it sounds also to me like you had some insight, some revelation about some things. So what did you do with that? So what I realized was I wasn't, I wasn't going to succeed in the next level of our company's development if I didn't change. Um, it wasn't about me hiring. At that point, I thought, well, maybe I hired the wrong people or I built this team on sort of the wrong premise. But actually, they were all incredible people. Um, I realized that I was going to have to think differently about my team. And and the the first revelation I had was I kind of draw this monster on the whiteboard where 
the way I was hiring was to hire people as extensions of myself. So I, I like to draw this little stick figure where every finger and every toe is another stick finger. And it's just like a horrible thing to behold. But I think that was the organization I created was people who could just do the hours because I only had two hands. And if I had 30 hands, I would just do it all myself. And so letting go of the concept of uh, people just executing hours and to rather see them as independent, creative human beings. And the first book that someone gave me is a book by the Kelly brothers, the founders of IDEO called Creative Confidence. And what a remarkable book to show me that every single person we work with is creative. Uh, we just vary in our levels of confidence about our creativity. And so when I started seeing my engineers as not as analytical execution oriented people, but actually as creative beings who, who wanted to, who wanted to craft code and, and be creative, uh, that changed everything for me. Uh, and, and that took me into this world of, of emotional intelligence. I want to take a minute and thank our sponsor today, HumbleDot. You know, managing distributed remote teams is really hard. I mean, it always has been hard for me. And when you've got people in different locations and time zones and cultures, it's not an easy challenge to overcome. In fact, it can be a real recipe for disaster. And as a manager, you've got to be a lot more organized and a lot more intentional about building strong bonds with the team. You know this show is all about relational leadership, and that's why I'm so excited to talk to you about this sponsor, HumbleDot. See, HumbleDot's a tool that was built to help you with these challenges. Look, it's an automated platform tool that does three things every week. Number one, it helps managers understand everybody's high-level priorities and challenges. Number two, it helps you build stronger bonds with those people who report to you. And number three, it helps the team get to know each other better. Look, companies like Twitter, Google, and Zendisk are using HumbleDot when they are managing and running their engineering teams. I think you should try it. They're on a mission to create happier and higher-performing teams. Isn't that exactly what you and I are trying to do? I mean, that's my mission. Go to their website, humbledot.com, and try the product for free. And guess what? Because you're listening to this, if you use the promo code MARCUS, M-A-R-C-U-S, you're going to get 50% off the whole first year. How cool is that? All right, go to humbledot.com and try it out. I think you're really going to like it. If somebody's listening right now, and they may not want to admit it, but... They might be the monster you describe with, uh, and they've hired people that seemed a lot like them who could be extensions as they thought, well, I don't have time to do front end. I'll get a front end. And that's really all they're hoping that person will do. It, if, if, what advice or what book, is there a book or resource you might recommend to someone who's thinking, I mean, you've already given us one great one, but is there a next place that you went in your journey? So I would say, Probably where I would go, uh, you know, to kind of, there are a couple really awesome books that help people navigate the, you know, the world of um, individual contributor to, to becoming an engineering manager. Uh, and I don't have any of those books off the top of my head. There are plenty of them. Uh, the book that I would recommend people just go to is called um, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. 
Hmm. Um, and it's just a really, it's a really simple read. Um, it's, 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 it's almost, it's broken down into bite-sized chunks. Uh, it's by Travis Bradbury. Uh, so, so Daniel Goleman is sort of the father of the emotional intelligence. He coined the phrase, he, he, he wrote the, the book on emotional intelligence. It is meaty though. And it's probably, uh, more of a, if, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's a hard read. It's quite academic. So, yeah. So uh, emotional intelligence 2.0 is, is really a stunning, it helps you understand why emotional intelligence is important, uh, where it comes from, um, kind of, and then talks about the four quadrants of emotional intelligence, which I know as engineers, you know, we like to see. We like to see the simple diagram on the whiteboard to help us understand things. We love a quadrant system, don't we? <laughs> it, we just then we put some dots on there. We start to map stuff out. And some arrows it, and, and, and exactly. It sounds like so many of the personality tests that I've that I've taken that I've delivered. And um, so so how can let's let's go back to hiring. So now as you're hiring people, if, you, if you're giving, you're now advising and you're hearing these CTOs in your current role, you're hearing people talk about hiring, um, what do you think we should be looking for? If we're not looking for just extensions of ourselves, almost resenting those darn people, if we only could multiply ourselves, we would, what should we be looking for? You know, I, uh, I had a fantastic conversation with someone uh, uh, who, who was who was at a, a, a large bookseller turned rentable uh, data manage but data center management. I won't name the company, but they you know they they're massive. Um, anyways, I talked to him about uh, this conundrum, and he basically gave me a fantastic. There are two things we want to do when we hire. One, we want to make sure someone fulfills the minimum requirements of the spec. So, you know, if you said someone needs to know, you know, React or needs to code in Flutter, you know, you want to make sure they can do that. Um, but then the second thing is you want to make sure someone is set up to succeed in the team. Hmm. And, and I think this is where people use terms like cultural fit and all that. But I loved how he said – you know, to, to succeed inside of the team. And, you know, when you do that, I would say um, disk profiles uh, have helped me a lot in the past to understand if someone is sort of high on the D or the I or the S or the C. Um, and and to, to work with people uh, maybe on the Enneagrams or whatever to, to, to really see, you know, the things that could take you months and months and months to figure out about someone you can actually have in the now by just letting them complete those tests. Uh, so I think th there's a lot of merit in the sort of going round and round and round with all the interviews. Um, but, uh, you know, I think sort of getting a sort of a grip on, on how someone is going to succeed inside of the team to me is almost, is, is almost more important. Yeah. It, it seems like being able to tell if someone can code and react these days is pretty simple. Whether you use hacker rank or you look at get their GitHub, I mean, assuming they're not being devious, it, it probably isn't too hard to say, you know, do you know this? Do you have those minimum requirements? 
Um, and I think that personality tests like DISC uh, profile and, and gee whiz, all the way back to uh, Myers-Briggs, right? And even before that have long been used by employers to try and determine, will this person succeed on the team? Um, and yet I bet it's still the biggest area of unknown until you hire them and drop them in. D- do you agree? Or, or can these profiles really just pave the way for perfect hiring? You know, I think uh, ultimately it doesn't compensate or take uh, circumstance into account. I know sometimes you take a disc profile test or a personality test and you might be higher on one thing on the Monday and a little lower on that on the Friday. Um, I also know there's a challenge with aspirational versus reality. So, uh, you know, I think for perfect hiring – you know, I mean, if we're on the topic of hiring, I love to do the whole six-week small project um, type hiring where where uh, you really get to see someone deliver and work through the nuances of the project in a in a hey, join us for six weeks. Um, this is the beginning of your project. This is the end. Um, and then at the end, the results will speak for themselves and people will be able to say, man, the guy disappeared, but he uh, showed up with an amazing product at the end of six weeks. I mean, that could be as much of a red flag as someone who just cannot get their arms around the spec and is constantly coming back with clarifying questions. You'd almost want to have that person, even if they don't produce any results. So... I guess, you know, as you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a cat and mouse game. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any perfect hiring, but I really like that six-week idea. And I'm curious, what impact does that have on the team? Do you, do you actually bring, would you recommend like hiring somebody for six weeks on contract, having them come into the office, giving them a project, and they're at every stand-up, and they're collaborating with the team? Or are they isolated from the team? Do we want to... Do we want to imagine that if we if we include them with the team's dynamic, that somehow it might be traumatic for the team if we just jerk them out after six weeks and they're gone? I think uh, so. I've done this a lot. Um, I think it's actually the team loves it. I think you're, you're giving the team a reassurance that they're important enough that if there isn't a consensus at the end of the six weeks, that their voice counts and. Um, you know, I, I, I usually ask my team to evaluate the person on a couple set criteria. So it's not just a, uh, you know, a verbal processing at the end of the six weeks. Um, and I, I love, I love, um, I love using a method called, uh, well, it's, it's meant to de- decorrelate the errors. So uh, you, you don't have people just talk, you have people fill out little post-it notes so they aren't influencing each other. I mean, that's that's really tough. Um, but I think uh, uh, it, it, it also helps the candidate. You know, the candidate gets to suss out the team. And, um, you know, I would say a so-so result is usable code at the end of those six weeks. Or maybe they've written up something that is actually super important uh, you know, best case scenario, um, you the person gets hired and every and has sort of has a has a running start, 
And then I would say worst case scenario is actually everyone wins because the person that you thought this would, would work out didn't. And um, I guess the worst case scenario is if you really want them, but they decide they don't want to work with you. Uh, I guess that really sucks. That, that's actually happened to me one time. So, um, but I, I like it because, and then you also compensate them for their time. You, you're not uh, getting any free work out of them. And it's no harm, no foul when it's done. And actually, it could be anywhere from two weeks to, to three months, depending on the project. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Thank you for breaking that down for us. I want to go back to personality profiling just for a second, because I have another question for you. So when, let's say we you standardized on the disk profile, right? And And everyone on your team had it. Is the goal to find candidates who look like everyone else? which seems like it creates uh, a lot of homogeny within your team, or is the goal to have a real diversification of styles and then be able to deal with those challenges? Absolutely the latter. Um, I think intuitively we, we probably know that, but having, having you know, a couple dominant people uh, on a team, I'm sure you can just see that train smash from, from a mile away. Uh, you know, for me, it all depends on how people handle conflict and how they handle uh, um, disagreements or uncertainty. Uh, and, and I guess this will kind of bring us back to emotional intelligence. But, you know, I think, uh, uh, and one test that I also had people do was, um, how, how they show up when there is disagreement and conflict. Uh, and again, I'm going to forget that it was a quadrant as well. There was avoidance, there was collaboration, uh, and there was two, there are two others I forget, I forget. But um, I think just knowing that stuff about each other is great. Now, I would say that there is a bit of a caveat here, which is the legalities of not hiring someone because of their personality profile you know, so I, I don't want to go into that space. Um, but to answer your question, I, I love having a diverse team. Uh, it's it's as far as personality profiles go. I mean, I love diversity overall. But uh, for personality profiles, uh, you'll you'll just see at certain stages some some person or some profile will will take the baton and run with something, and uh, I think that's really great for a team. Yes, and thank you for mentioning this show does not offer legal advice of any kind. <laughs> uh, you know, it seems like I really like, of course, we're all, we all want to be inclusive and diversity is an important part of that. So I don't think anybody is going to be against that. But you do mention an important idea, yeah, how we handle conflict. Because if you have a very dominant person on the team and you find that an interview candidate is also very dominant, I think that it would might be tempting to say either we don't hire them or we don't put them in the same project or we sort of keep, this is going to sound terrible, like let's keep the lions in separate cages, right? But the reality is maybe that there's an opportunity for training, for, um, for improving our skills, because at least I'm a big believer that these conflict management skills are things that anyone can learn. So maybe they actually provide us with more opportunities to grow rather than just staying comfortable. Well, we've got this, this person's our dominant. We can't have any more of them. 
Yes, and I think this is what I also see in our seven CTOs forums because we also have many personality styles or conflict. And actually, leaning into conflict, for some reason, culturally, you know, it's almost like we're all in the avoiding phase. uh, Or you just have the, uh, you know, and actually... um, you know, we talk about this a lot in Seven CTOs, and actually Meta as the people running the forums. That you know, if you think about those four stages of forming, norming, storming, performing—I forget the exact flow—but uh, when people start feeling safe with each other, conflict is bound to happen. Um, and I think for us as managers, uh, we. It, it, it's a fearful place. I, I don't know why we as humans have a big problem with this. I know as a South African, I've been accused of being way too comfortable with with um, conflict. But, but you know, I think to lean in and to say, you know what, this is actually good for the group. Um, and I'm not talking about con- – I'm talking about when people get really mad at each other and when there's real disagreements. Um, to, 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 as a leader, be able to say – to not think of it as the individual so much, but to try and think of it more as the community or as what is good for the group. And for the group right now, it is good that persons A, B, and C are disagreeing vehemently on this. Uh, Of course, it's our job to make sure that there isn't, uh, you know, that we're still within the ethics uh, of the company and uh, the rules of engagement. But but I think to not avoid the conflict is 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 a real is a real courageous move to make. Now you, you know for for introverts or if you're if you're very high on support supportive, that's very very difficult um, to do. You know, and I think we as CTO types will often at, use those uh, moments, especially if it's with our CEOs, to just capitulate and just say. Uh, you know, you know what? I just want to get out of this conflict. Whatever it is you wanted, I'll do it. Uh, everything's cool, you know. And then it's even worse when we are managing our people. We will we tend to fall on our swords and kind of give them what they want. And I think this is where the EQ level, uh, why EQ is so critical for us as leaders, is to understand when that anxiety is happening inside of us as leaders. To be aware of it, to see, oh, hang on, I'm, I'm really freaked out right now. I kind of want to, you know, I kind of want to run into the corner and assume the fetal position and hide it under a blankie. Um, but to be like, okay, I'm aware of what's happening to me right now as this conflict is happening. How do I now manage? What are my tools to actually manage and regulate what's happening inside of me so that I can show up as my most adult resourceful self in those situations. Yeah, I think you hit on the tool, the first tool that I hear talked about so often, and it really is the hardest, and that's the awareness that something's happening. You mentioned like figuring out that what I really want to do is go hide in the corner with my blankie, and I've been there. I am totally conflict avoidant, but figuring out that that's a sign for me to pay attention kind of that meta conversation. You might think about it as stepping outside yourself or having a little homunculus on your shoulder, something where you're observing yourself and you're saying, I'm really getting freaked out right now, aren't I? 
I wonder what's happening. And it's kind of that curiosity. I heard it in your voice like, oh, this is interesting. And it moves from scary and awful and reactive to interesting and maybe full of possibilities about how we could act rather than how we've always acted before. Yes, and uh, I, I heard a fascinating interview actually while I was in South Africa uh, where a, a psychologist was explaining that how from a very young age we're told not to feel the emotions that we're feeling. And so, uh, you know, when you're like, Mommy, I'm really afraid, and then your mom's like, no, you're not afraid. <laughs> right. Don't be afraid. Yes. Or, and so we just suffer this whole youth of, of uh, people not validating our emotions. And so what happens as adults uh, when we're in these situations where uh, the CEO is expecting some from, something from you that literally scares you or your team is not satisfied with a certain decision you've made or with a direction you're taking, we start feeling these emotions and then we start saying, well, hang on, if I was a real leader, I wouldn't feel these emotions. So I'm not allowed to feel these emotions. And then it's, you start acting out in ways that are completely unbecoming to any, any adult. And I think uh, it's, 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 it's quite amazing to, to see that. Yeah, it's almost, I love that you threw in the, the little bit about the, the real leader right? The real leader wouldn't feel this way. I've, I think I've actually been in this situation where then the picture of a real leader comes to maybe from a film like Braveheart. And all of a sudden I find myself like metaphorically out front on a horse with a sword trying to be that. And I think to everyone else, it just looks ridiculous. It's not effective. And people have told me later, like, well, that was weird. That wasn't like anything you've ever done. Yeah. And of course, I was trying to be exactly. a, quote, real leader. Yeah. And I think what further perpetuates the problem is when we look at our peers and we see their uh, direct reports maybe loving and approving them, we start doubting, well, why don't people, why do, I don't feel like people tr look at me the same way they're looking at Susie or, and then you start thinking, okay, well, now the problem lies with me and Susie is now a, a way better leader than I am. And again, this all goes back to as children, you kind of suss out constantly what's working and what isn't working. And who's and in the in-group and who's in the out-group. Absolutely. And I mean, I to this day, I'm a healthy 47-year-old male and I can still lose it when I feel uh, <laughs> that someone isn't giving me the necessary uh, accolades. Not, not from an e uh, ego standpoint, but from a self-doubt. Like, wow, am I – did I do well today? Or And this is just where, uh, again, EQ – all these things boil down to our, you know, uh, emotional quotient. Like what, what are we showing up with every single day where we are not just trying to feed this beast, but we are actually mature and really understanding uh, how to manage us, how to be aware of ourselves, how to manage ourselves, how to be aware of the social environment, and then how to manage those relationships. Super simple. And yet so hard to do. <laughs> and all of it takes practice. Uh, you know, I hope there's the people that are listening. First, I hope if you're listening, and this sounds like you, I hope you can know, you know that if, if Atan and I can do this 
we, you can do it. Like that's just the reality. And yeah, I, I butchered his name, but if Etienne and I can pull off becoming a little bit more self-aware than we were 10 years ago, you can certainly pull this off and you can move in that direction. Um, but you have are probably working against 30 or 40 or 50 years worth of reflexive learning that you have started learning when you were very little. And I'll be honest, I want to comment on that, that where Susie likes, you know, if my team lead was more beloved than I was team lead than I was, I would start to feel a little afraid. Maybe I'd need to worry. Maybe Susie's going to take my job. Maybe my CEO would like Susie better than me. And uh, it comes back to very like grade school kinds of competition then. Absolutely. And, and, it, and then it starts overriding. And this is, um, this is just the nature of, of how we, we are wired uh, with the central nervous system going through the amygdala, which is the emotional HQ. Before it even gets to your logical prefrontal cortex, it, 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 it goes through the emotional HQ of your brain. And, and uh, it overrides then our ability to logically think through the, the, the thing that you're good at then becomes something you absolutely cannot do because you are so, um, there's an override. And so, uh, to, again, to, to understand when, when, I, when, I, when I'm doing this at my best, I am cool, I'm calm, I'm collect, even though the rage or the anger or the disappointment or the or the concern or the confusing confusement a confusion is 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 with me i am not it doesn't it doesn't come over me and control me i can actually say okay hang on there's something happening here causing this for me now it's not them it's not some it's just me and so like i said that's when it's at my best when i'm at my worst i'm a blubbering fool you're i'm right there with you and i i love what you said because it's not that you don't feel those things it's not pretending you don't feel afraid and nervous and anxious and competitive and angry it's stepping back and becoming aware that you have choices about how you handle what's inside you. And that only you're responsible for what's inside you. No, no one else is. When I, I remember I have three kids and growing up, one of them would say, well, he made me mad. And I'd say, mm. he can't make you anything. You, yes. you became angry, but he did not make that. You know. That is so true. Yeah. And so uh, what I find very helpful, um, and maybe this is a plug, but it's very helpful to have your peers and be able to just say, you know, I spoke with my CEO. I didn't like the way she said something. Hey guys, if I, what do you think? How, what's happening for you? What am I feeling? And I think it's okay to rely on other people to help you through those emotions. I think, I think oftentimes when we hear emotional intelligence, we think, well, it's it's a me thing. Just like IQ is, it's all me, me, me. It's like it's my IQ, it's my EQ. But while, and this book says this, uh, Emotional Intelligence 2.0 says, you know, IQ cannot change, but your EQ can. And, uh, and, and to really rely on a group to help you increase and improve your EQ and not to think that like IQ, it's something that just is and can't change and I just have to deal with the consequences. No, it's something that you can work on 
especially with a group to help you sanity check some of the emotions you're feeling uh, and to, to have the group be able to say to you, hey, man, you know, it just sounds like you're not willing to own that that this is what happened. And so chill out, you know, you just own it and move on. And uh, it's much easier to do that with people that you trust and that you can understand knows what you're going through than with some random strangers who don't have a clue uh, why this job is so hard to do. Absolutely. Etienne, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can people find out more about you and your work at 7CTOs? Very simple. It's uh, the number 7 and then ctos.com. And we're also active on YouTube. So we also have a, uh, a, a podcast aimed at CTOs the, uh, called CTO Studio. And it's conversations I like to have as uh, that I think CTOs should be in. So it's just fun conversations. Um, so yeah, 7CTOs.com and the CTO Studio. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for listening to Programming Leadership. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at www.programmingleadership.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Humble Pod Production. Stay humble.